Wondering why people strike out on their own as software consultants? Today on The Accidental Engineer, Daniel Gerlink, Principal at N Plus Advisors. Dan started his career in financial services. After witnessing the 2008 financial recession, Dan reevaluated how he could diversify his expertise to other areas besides finance. About six years later, we catch up with Dan and ask him about how he made the jump to founding a software consultancy. Enjoy. Max of the Accidental Engineer here. Today we're joined by Dan Gerlink. Uh, Dan uh, and I met back in Boston uh, through some of the data science and machine learning events, I guess, live events, meetups that we both attended. Having met Dan, uh, Dan's a great guest to have on because he runs his own software engineering data science consultancy. Um, so for our audience that doesn't know you, Dan, uh, do you mind introducing uh, yourself and a little bit about how you, you have what you do. <laughs> sure, sounds great. Well, yeah, thanks again for having me, Max. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so like you were saying, I have a data science and software engineering consulting company and plus advisors that I started back in 2011. Uh, so almost, almost going on. Uh, yes. So yeah, before that, I worked actually in quantitative finance as a quantitative analyst. Um, so I did that full time for about four years uh, with a firm in Boston. Um, and before that, uh, I was in college and had done some internships in that. And also, in, I interned in software development as well. Um, so, yeah, we were basically doing data science in financial services kind of before anyone was really calling it data science. Um, so, so, how did you decide to or make the leap into your your own consulting business from having done the full-time jobs? Yeah, so... I mean, when, when I started NPLUS, the idea was really to bring kind of that same process for kind of robust uh, procedural kind of machine learning and data science that we we're using to manage millions of dollars to different industries, not just in financial services. Um, and I mean, it was really, I mean, I had worked in software development, but it, other, and I mean, we were still doing software development in finance, but from the industry side of things, I'd only really worked in financial services. And it was, and if we went through the whole, I was working there through the financial crash of 08 where they laid off a third of the firm not including me but um really kind of seeing that downturn and i was like well this is the only area i've worked in financial services and i only know how to do this and so kind of from a i guess long-term kind of 
risk management perspective, I was like, well, I should probably uh, get kind of a broader perspective on the field so I haven't just worked in asset management. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the right answer, but that was kind of my perspective at the time. Oh, sure. Definitely no right answers. <laughs> uh, I'm curious about whether your first client as a software consultant was also in finance or whether you did branch out immediately from finance. My first client kind of immediately after was financial services related. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but from there, actually, the majority, I would say, have not been financial services related, um, though the first kind of longer term client I worked with was. But um, since then, I mean, I have worked with other financial services companies, um, but I would say the majority are actually not in financial services. Sure. Yeah, I, one of the topics that we were talking about before hopping on the podcast was about the topic of finding clients and uh, vetting clients mm -hmm. about whether they're worth working with mm -hmm. and vice versa, how, how on the other side of the table, uh, clients of yours evaluate you. Um, do you, I, For our audience that have full-time jobs or as employees of companies and who perhaps go through this process of evaluating an employer <laughs> as somebody they want to work for less frequently. What are some of the, what are some of the idiosyncrasies of uh, your process for uh, evaluating clients or mm -hmm. finding new ones? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of two, I guess there's two questions there. One with, I guess the finding question, finding clients and the other um, in terms of evaluating projects. So maybe I'll, I'll start with the evaluating projects part first because that's probably an sure. easier answer. Um, so definitely, I mean, as a as compared to probably a full time job, not that this, not that you're not, you may not be uh, choosing which projects to work on, especially um, if you're in a smaller organization or your employer gives you a decent amount of autonomy to kind of pick what you were and work on or how to solve problems. Um, I mean, I think it's probably similar in the sense that when you're picking a client to work with, I mean, you want to pick projects that you can be successful on. Um, and then going in, you know, you'll be able to get a good result. And also going in that, you know, that the client will appreciate the work you're doing on it um, because it's possible that, you could get a good result and they still won't appreciate it because their expectations are that that you would they would have something that is not that you're not going to deliver to them or is not possible to be delivered um sure. so making so figuring out if you can have that alignment going in i'd say is always a uh, top priority um and i mean i think some of it is making sure that I mean, it's just the communication aspect of it. Like, what is making sure you're on the same page with whomever you're working with and making sure as the project progresses that you stay on the same page because often things will not turn out exactly as uh, you went, you expected going in, especially with like a very custom software project or 
um, I'd say mostly any kind of data science project. With, without having to name names, is, is, were, were there any learning experiences that you had on that front where there's been uh, divergence in you and the client's belief about what it was you were originally um, tasked with providing as a consultant? that that changed your <laughs> changed your approach um i mean it's same more like the amount of the cases where the amount of work that would have to go into delivering something would be is just i mean from my perspective i tend to go from it more i'm going to finish the project as long as um we can get it done within some reasonable amount of kind of like what we initially estimated, but it's more, I think more was more of a learning experience in terms of how you structure some of these projects uh, just so that uh, it works out better for kind of on both sides, just so that you and the client both know what to expect in terms of how long it should take, how much the project should cost. Um, and that you both kind of feel like you're getting a good value for your time and energy that's going into it. Um, but I mean, I'd say in general, I haven't had any like huge problems with that. Um, but it could also, I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it could be, yeah, I mean, I, I think also, yeah, I mean, there have been projects I have not, I've not taken because I'm like, this is just, I can knew that it would be more work than I, um, or more work or it would just, the alignment was not kind of right going in or the expectations were unreasonable going in. Um, like I know one time there was some guy who I think wanted me to rewrite this C++ library. And he was like, yeah, you know, I think it should cost like a thousand dollars or something. I'm like, he, I'm like, well, you don't even, and he's like, oh, and we don't have any test cases. So I don't know if it's working or not. I'm like, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, no, thanks. So what, what are, what are, I mean, you mentioned coming from finance and quantitative analysis in finance where where are kind of the growth industries for data science these days? What are where are you seeing the most client interest in your services or your peers? Um, I think I mean now it's really across all industries where they collect large amounts of data or internal data, which to some degree is kind of any large company almost. Um, and smaller companies, really, I mean, IoT, Internet of Things type company that, I mean, I've seen a lot more projects on that end. Um, also now, really, machine vision type projects. I mean, the technology around that has really improved in the past few years. So uh, there's a lot of work coming from startups that are really focused around that um, specifically. Um, and then across other industries, just um, the awareness, I think in general is just there that these they can use data really to optimize internal processes or uh, figure out um, 
how to introduce new products, and that's kind of really driving them to make data and data science part of their overall strategy for kind of continuing competitiveness. So I know you've given well, published papers uh, on statistics and statistical analysis. You've also given plenty of uh, uh, talks at conferences. Uh, we were talking previously about uh, a talk that you gave stemming from work you'd done as a consultant around dealing with uh, Postgres, the database. Um, a topic I thought might be cool to discuss is kind of the how how that client engagement led to a con led to a conference talk um, yes do you, yep. you know what i'm referring yeah, to <laughs> so the talk you were referring to is one i actually gave recently at the beginning of november uh 2017 um mm -hmm. and the talk was actually about using this technique i will say a perhaps I'll say discovered, although it's it's. <laughs> I will, I've been told by one person who's a core Postgres contributor that they already knew about that, um, but I had not I I had not seen any previous references to it. Um, but basically, okay. Well, this hearing about hearing about what you did <laughs> might be representative for our audience about the types of problems that you encounter with your clients. Yeah. So this, I mean, this one actually wasn't. I'd say you know, most representative, but definitely something that comes up in a consulting basis where we're not just handling the data specific data science problem, but really building the whole system around it. Um, and so the issue we we're having was we were inserting these large amounts of data actually f within a Postgres database. So from selecting from one table and inserting, or one or more tables and inserting into a destination table and trying to do this within a single, transa single transaction. Oh. <laughs> Maybe I'll uh, go back to that. <laughs> that last part. Um, no problem, no problem. Yeah, so we were trying to select from within a database from one or more tables and insert into a destination table within a single transaction. And the issue we were having in production was that basically the transactions never completed. Like they would continue, you could leave them running for days and they just were stuck in some sort of deadlock. Um, and we weren't doing anything like everything was basically there weren't any like updates or anything happening so um it was somewhat unusual and what i actually figured out somewhat accidentally was that we could actually that and this was this was kind of where the the doc came from is actually i was running i was testing this on a local um on my local machine, actually, and I was running the analysis basically to then upload it into production. Um, but to actually get the data out of my local database and push it to the production database, I used these bulk 
insert and select um, statements, which are more efficient in general. Um, and what I found actually was that when I used those, I didn't have any of the issues with um, the transaction and the inserts hanging forever. Um, so, and I actually found that it ran faster pulling the data like out of the database of my local database and inserting it into the remote production database and then just running it and inserting between tables on the remote database, um, which seems unintuitive because <laughs> there's this whole process of you have network plus serialization happening in a bunch of ways. Um, <laughs> And yet, in yeah, spite in of spite it, of it, <laughs> it was uh, faster. So um, the talk actually came to be where I went and actually formally kind of tested this and um, built basically some statistical. I did the statistical analysis really of kind of the black box benchmarks of doing these inserts um, or replicating this process and what i found was actually consistent with what i initially seen in that it was actually faster to do it this way um, in many cases to pull the data out of the system and insert it back as opposed to just kind of keeping it um, within the same postgres system which is definitely unexpected from my end um, So this this sounds pretty representative of what I would imagine data science consulting work is like, is that you have a customer who has some data like you've described and they want you to do, or they want, they want you to either perf perform some ana analytics or create some uh, trigger on certain types of events that arise in the data, um, or they want you to merely facilitate uh, performing the the data transformation that you're describing in this case you had to do uh, is is this something that is am, am I accurate is that is that true that this is representative of of some of your consulting yeah, I'd work say that you it's do? fairly common where we're either I mean designing the basically the models around what computation is going to be done or what analysis is going to be done. Um, or if that already exists, like they already have some IP around doing that or research around doing that. The next part is how do you implement it in a repeatable, robust way that uh, you can run on <clears throat> larger data sets or in a production system um, as opposed to just kind of in research or code or something like that. Um, and so this one fell more on that second case where we were implementing kind of the production version of an existing process and it had to be able to run at a high, at a large scale on um, the systems that they were already working with. So one of the things that I'm curious about uh, from your, your consulting experience is when you start an engagement with a client, 
there's all kinds of access mm-hmm. problems <laughs> in various forms. Maybe you need access to the code base that they want you to work on. Maybe you need access to different databases that are heavily locked mm-hmm. down for privacy reasons. Um, I, as soon as you're on mm-hmm. a billable hour model, perhaps there, there's an interest on the client's part to facilitate your access to these things. But some things are, are trickier, like when you need to budget for computing power, for example. Um, do many of your customers give you full reins to, uh, <laughs> to, to their cloud provider, like mm-hmm. Amazon web services, or how do you, how do you, how do you, uh, procure compute resources mm-hmm. or database resources when you're, when you're not a full-time employee? Yeah. So usually I will just put those things into the contract, which, well, so if they are, in certain cases, they have provisioned this already, um, and there's a fixed number of things we can work with, um, <clears throat> or we can kind of adjust the power we have available or scale on the cloud services, what we can use. Um, but in other, the most common case is that, I mean, I put it explicitly in the contract that we expect to be able to have access to this within X amount of time, basically. Um, and this is what we're going to need to have, either this kind of access or we need access to the anonymized data set if um, like, there's data privacy issues. And I mean, even if there aren't data privacy issues, we'd probably prefer to have the anonymized data set just so there's um, no questions about it. Um, and then sure. on the compute side, usually... I just say that we will approve and then if we need to test and run anything, we'll actually just do it on our end and then get approval and bill them for it so that we're, so there's, so we don't have the the less kind of coordination that needs to be done across different organizations, the easier it's going to be usually. So um, we'll provision whatever needs to be provisioned on our end and then just uh, bill for the cost of whatever resources we need to use. So there's, there's a couple of things that I, I think we should plug on your behalf. One is obviously your consultancy and plus advisors. That's, uh, um, that's us. If there are <laughs> members of our audience that, uh, if there are members of our audience that, that want to get in touch with Dan, uh, we'll have links in the show notes. Uh, but the other th- question I had was whether it's common for you to subcontract at work. Um, whether there's a way in data science engagements mm-hmm. as a consultant to subcontract subcontract out various pieces of the work that you might be doing for a client. Is that something that you occasionally like do? Like where subcontract in the sense that we are the subcontractor, would you say? Or rather that you guys have such a large contract that uh, the hours of work or the scope of work requires bringing in another specialist that N plus advisors. Yeah. So we will do that depending on the project. Um, and so there are different contractors that I've worked with over the years, um, with different specializations that will bring in kind of as necessary to meet the needs of a particular project. Um, it tends to be, 
less on the data science side and more on the kind of software <clears throat> development part. Um, just it's just because it's harder to it's harder to get data science data scientists than um, software developers um, and also I'm pretty picky with <laughs> the data like also the I'm fairly uh, OCD with my with, with yeah, any with any of the data and... science stuff so <laughs> um, I mean if it was a really long I mean there are a few people I've worked with but, but it would have to be like a much longer term project um, or one where we can easily we can easily split out parts of the work like to me and someone else on the data science side of things um because i mean also in data science projects it's kind of hard to work on the same problem and like collaborate on it unless basically you're working on the same thing like independently and then you like compare your results which is less useful most of the time in a consulting at least in a consulting project on the initial implementation of something. So um, a lot of times, yeah. yeah so a lot of times costs. it just doesn't really make sense to have more than one data scientist working on the problem unless you can easily break it up into several sub problems. Um, and a lot of times, especially for the initial analysis, you don't know what those sub problems are till you do it yet, but or start working on it. So, um, so yeah, I guess the answer is yes, we definitely will, uh, subcontract and, uh, build out the team as necessary. Um, especially building systems around the whole, um, process from, model fitting through to running everything in production. Are there, are there a common set of tools that you tend to use uh, across clients? I mean, in the example we were discussing earlier mm -hmm. about uh, benchmarking performance mm -hmm. with working with a Postgres SQL database, uh, that was a client yes. who uses Postgres. <laughs> However, is there are there are there tools that you use commonly across clients like uh, for for um, SaaS, I'd say I guess? if we're deciding on the stack, it's usually going to be. I mean, our kind of go to is usually Python plus Postgres <clears throat> plus other things. Like usually for a production system, there's going to be redis or some redis or some similar uh, in memory database somewhere um it's postgres is kind of for 99 percent of your persistence concurrency management going to be the right choice um but python you today you have all the data pretty much all the data analysis libraries you need um and also you can build an API pretty easily. Um, you have kind of the full stack to work with in Python. Um, R is great for interactive data analysis and graphics. And I mean, I will use R usually for 
those kinds of things, um, especially on the stat side where not all the libraries exist in Python, although every year it catches up more and more. Um, but those, yeah, that's kind of tends to be where we'll start out. Uh, although if there is, if like the client's already using uh, a set of technologies, then we'll work with those kind of as best as we can. Um, and depending on if you have huge amounts of data, it also it's probably going to make sense to use some sort of <clears throat> cloud database uh, or columnar database system like Redshift or um, SQL Data Warehouse on Azure that can just handle these huge amounts of data very easily in um, a way that you're not going to be able to do with like a transactional oriented database system. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, kind of overwhelming the analytics offerings that are available as provided by Azure, AWS, Google Cloud. Um, it sounds like you've used several of them before, but for our audience that's unfamiliar with the difference, uh, do you mind sharing what are, what are some of the mm-hmm. data science offerings that or maybe database offerings mm-hmm. that the different cloud providers use that or offer that you, yeah, so the you, ones that you use that, regularly? Um, I mean, so for general application support <clears throat> and also an analysis up to you know, a certain number of records, um, also in the interest of <clears throat> keeping your stack simpler, um, using uh, Postgres or, I mean, MySQL less, we I tend to tell people if they're starting from the beginning to use Postgres instead of MySQL just because um, <clears throat> it's a lot more flexible and also uh, conformant to SQL standards. Um, I guess other, other yeah, columnar so type of databases the, too? On the columnar, or columnar side, I'm not really sure which one it is. <laughs> um, Yeah, so on that side of things, I'd say the go-to probably is either, I mean, if you want to be able to work basically in pure SQL, either go to Redshift on AWS, which is their managed columnar uh, online uh, analytics processing. So you don't necessarily get the same transactional guarantees, but you can process large amounts of data and scale the analysis fairly easily. Um, the Basically, the equivalent on Azure is SQL Data Warehouse, um, which I've worked with as well and I've actually been fairly impressed with how performant it is. Um, and those will basically let you write SQL to do all these analyses and work, basically give you what you would expect in a uh, any SQL compliant database with a few modifications. Um, you can also always use um, today. You could use like Spark um, and store your data in a Hadoop file system, and you can effectively write SQL on 
that file so, uh, against those files, um, which you could store in some columnar format, and that would give you a bit more flexibility than you would get with um, using one of the database offerings. But <clears throat> you're also then have to manually manage more of how you're interacting with the data as opposed to on the uh, with Redshift or Azure Data Warehouse um, or SQL Data Warehouse. Basically, you have the query optimizer figuring out how to do all the memory management and how to move things between nodes, which are things you'd have to manage yourself to a larger degree if you're using Spark. And I, I guess one last option with Google Cloud is the uh, BigQuery, BigQuery database, uh, which I myself don't have personal experience with. But in ha being tied to some of the AWS tools that I use, um, I've heard very positive things about it. Uh, are there are there any questions that I should ask you um, that I've missed out on? I mean, one thing I might say is that we work fairly across industry. Um, so a lot of times people ask is, well, do you just consult in a specific industry versus others? And definitely I personally have that financial services experience, um, which, I mean, I think that acts, I mean, to some degree there's knowing the data the data and financial services is fairly complex a lot of times. So having an understanding of how that all goes together definitely helps with financial services clients I've worked with. But in a lot of other industries, a lot of times the data source, I mean, especially for a lot of companies, the data source is internal data. Um, and it's not necessarily in understand like you can learn what the underlying process is usually fairly quickly or the team is going to have a good understanding and be able to describe it to you or you can figure it out from the data um and so i'd really say a lot of the work we do applies equally across many different industries and i mean we've worked with everything from healthcare to uh, educational technology to container freight shipping and logistics. So, um, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's quite, it's quite <laughs> a the huge breadth of subject matter. <laughs> so, even, even if you don't, if even if there aren't, uh, even if it isn't a current specialty of M plus advisors. It, Domain knowledge isn't necessarily yeah. the, the biggest blocker on right. Uh, yeah, and then there are going to be some value. probably there's certain like if someone like something with like electronic health records or something like that. There's probably some domain specific knowledge that you need to know to work with some certain part of that. But at the same time, if someone was saying, oh, "Well, we want to produce a model that takes X and produces and." Uh, predicts why as a at the end of the day the data that's going to be going to a model is going to be fairly has to be at some point fairly denormalized into some format that you're going to be able to use with um, 
statistical or machine learning software. So as long as we can get access to the data in a format that uh, is reasonable than we can work with, we'll be able to um, work on the problem, but we're not necessarily, there still are yeah, definitely fields where the data management side we're not gonna get into, but I would say that's more the uh, exception than the rule. Fair enough. Well, I, on our outro, I want to replug uh, M Plus Advisors and the work that Dan Gerlink does. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Dan, thanks for coming on. Thanks for joining us for the Accidental Engineer podcast. If you enjoyed our interview with Dan and want to hear more about professional software engineering careers, visit our website at theaccidentalengineer.com. We have a large backlog of video interviews and sign up on our email list to be notified when we publish new ones. Thanks. Thanks.